Well, it had to happen eventually, right? The Seahawks suffer their first, what I would call, bad loss of the year. Game that they probably should have won. A game where I think their roster matched up, uh, was the better roster overall than the other team. Uh, Had everything working in their favor. Home game, coming off a bye. Totally rested. Completely healthy roster. Uh, Playing a a Las Vegas Raiders team that was coming off a win against the the Russell Wilson-led Broncos on Sunday night in overtime and and starting to feel good about themselves first year under coach Josh McDaniels. But uh, Seahawks lose a shootout in overtime, 40-34 to today to drop to 6-5. and I'm here to give you my rapid reaction. I am Dan Vienz. This is the Field Goals Podcast. And yeah, uh, let's talk about this one. (laughs) Um, This game reminded me of the Detroit Lions game except that they they didn't finish and they didn't come out on top. It was a shootout all the way through. Uh, Seahawks get off to the fast start, of course. Quandre Diggs intercepts Derek Carr on the first play of the game. Uh, Two plays later, Kenneth Walker scores. Seahawks lead 7-0. Sure looks like they're not going to be flat coming out of the bye. The crowd's into it. Absolutely gorgeous day. Uh, The forecast all week long, by the way, had called for a terrible, ugly, rainy, sloppy track on Sunday. And... uh, the forecast changed yesterday and today it held true 45 ish degrees, sunny, beautiful, no wind, uh, perfect conditions. Seahawks jump out seven, nothing. And then it was a seesaw battle and a shootout from there. End of one Seahawks lead 10 to seven at halftime. Vegas leads 24, 20. It's tied at 27 after three and it's tied at 34 after regulation. We go to overtime and here's, um, we're going to start by talking about Geno Smith, and then I will uh, tell you what I feel about his performance today. Um, talked earlier this week on the show in both the uh, the Raiders preview um, and with Dana about how as good as Geno Smith has been, um, as consistent as he's been, he there's one thing he hasn't done yet. And, and this goes back to last year when he got the, the chance, the three games that he played in place of Russell Wilson when he was hurt. Is he He's finished off some games, but he hasn't had the ball in his hands tied or, or behind with a chance to win the game late and, and take the Seahawks down the field and score to win the game. He hasn't done that yet. And that's something that we got spoiled with watching Russell Wilson, right? It was something he was known for kind of lived for that. And, and in a way that the Seahawks learned to play for that, um, much different team now, but he had two chances to do that today. Uh, one at the end of regulation and one in overtime. Um, at the end of regulation, a couple minutes left. Seahawks need to get to about the 37 to give, um, Jason Myers a chance for a 55 yard field goal, something that's completely within his range. And again, perfect kicking conditions. Um, and he didn't get it done. Skipped a ball, uh, wide open Tyler Lockett over the middle uh, for about a 10-yard gain. It would have been. He skipped a ball to him, threw, him, threw it short. Uh, next play, throws an out route to DK Metcalf. Ball's a little wide, but Metcalf makes a diving attempt at it. Was ruled initially a catch on the field, a long replay review, and they overturned it. And then on third down, Gino takes a sack. And that's something I'm going to get to in a minute. That has become a trend. And, um, and it's the one chink so far in Gino's armor, uh, thus far. 
So Seattle has to punt. Uh, so we go to overtime. Raiders get the ball back with about 45 seconds left, and they just play for overtime. In overtime, Raiders get the ball first. Daniel Carlson misses a 55-yard field goal attempt. Just wide right. And then Geno gets another chance. Starts with a five-yard completion to Tyler Lockett. And then the Hawks inexplicably decide to run up the middle to Kenneth Walker. And we're going to talk about why that was in an inexplicable decision uh, in a minute when we talk about just how they hadn't. It's, it's the epitome of banging your head against the wall. They just hadn't had any success running the football all day. And then third and five, Geno, incomplete. Seahawks have to punt. First play from scrimmage. Raiders hand it to Josh Jacobs. He goes 86 yards for the touchdown to win it 40 to 34. So Gino has two opportunities and he didn't get it done today. But again, hold on. But let's talk about that sack rate. Okay, these were some great numbers that uh, John Gilbert from Field Goals posted in our group chat. Here's where Gino sits on a sack rate by down comparative to the rest of the NFL. On first down, Gino's getting sacked 2.2% of the time. The league is getting sacked 5% of the time on first down. On second down, Gino's getting sacked 1.4% of the time. The league, 5%. So on first and second down, Geno Smith, and I think some of this credit goes to Shane Waldron too, and the things he does on early passing downs. They've really been unpredictable and balanced on those first two early downs. Uh, Geno's been great. Third downs. Geno's getting sacked just about 21% of the time. And this is on obvious passing downs, okay? This isn't third and one. These are third and five, third and six, third and sevens. 21% of the time he's taking a sack in those situations. The league is just under 10%. So again, these numbers came from John Gilbert and he surmises that on third and obvious passing situations that this might be a situation where the Seahawks inexperience of their offensive line, those young tackles, catches up with them a little bit. And he might be onto something because the Seahawks have put so much trust in Abe Lucas and Charles Cross, those rookie tackles this year. And for the most part, that trust has been rewarded. They've played, except, they've played exceptionally well by anyone's measure as rookies. Um, but today, Abe Lucas was going up against Max Crosby, one of the most ferocious pass rushers in the entire league. And he got beat a couple of times. Uh, Crosby had a sack and a half. Uh, there were some other times where there were some pressures and and uh, they were just leaving Lucas alone on an island against Max Crosby, not not throwing another tight end over there, not chipping. Seahawks didn't use those that bunch tight end, the three tight end formation, nearly as much today. Um, it was clearly a game plan decision on their part. Um, but I would also add this to John's analysis. I think what we saw today also was uh, the weakness of the Seahawks offensive line, and that's up the middle. Um, Austin Blythe and Gabe Jackson, to me, I haven't watched the replay yet. I'm going to watch the condensed replay and watch every play over again um, to get another look with the benefit of replays and the TV angle. But from what I saw, uh, there was a lot of pressure up the middle too. And Austin Blythe and Gabe Jackson were just getting, just getting bullied Uh, in the running game as well. There was no place for Kenneth Walker to go. Um, Let me see. I went down here a little bit. I was going to talk about Walker, but he had, what were his numbers overall? 
14 carries for 26 yards. He had two touchdowns, but 14 carries for 26 yards. Uh, Seattle, 65 yards rushing as a whole. Uh, Meanwhile, so I talk about that just to give some context to the fact that Geno had an opportunity to save this game, to pull this game out, and he didn't get it done. And, And it's still something we need to see from him. I'm not saying I need to see it to make a decision on him. I've already decided. I think we all have. Um, but he still needs to get that done. And that's that's the one thing on his resume he hasn't done yet. To this point. Um, but overall, he was really good. He really was. And I heard people even uh, as we were leaving the stadium talking about how good Gino was today. Overall, he was 27 out of 37, 328 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, Rating of 106.6, which is about his season average. The one interception was bad. Uh, it was right up there with, uh, he had the bad interception at Arizona for the pick six. This one just threw it right right into coverage. Um, I don't know if he thought receiver was going to keep coming and he settled and maybe he threw it to where he thought the receiver was supposed to be, but he threw it right to the defender. Um, but to his credit, uh, he came back from that, responded. Next time he got the ball, seven plays, 75-yard touchdown drive. He threw some absolute dimes today. He threw one of the most beautiful balls you'll ever see on the touchdown to lock it. If you haven't seen the highlight yet, look it up. Um, as much as people said Russell Wilson was the best deep ball thrower in the league or one of them over the last 10 years, um, I think Geno's proven to be uh, just about as good. You simply cannot throw a ball better with anticipation, timing, and accuracy as the ball that he threw to lock it today. And he had some others like that too, a couple of third down conversions, although there weren't as many of those as there should have been. Um, third down was a problem today as well. I'll get to those numbers in a second. So this one wasn't on Gino at all. But I just wanted to give some context to the fact that there's still some things he needs to work on. And, and that not all that falls on him. It can be game planning. It can be helping out those young tackles. It can be play calling. You know, I don't think it helped him in overtime that Waldron calls, or maybe it was a Geno check. I don't know, but calls a, a run straight up the middle to Kenneth Walker on second, second and five, and it goes nowhere. And and I don't, if you'd watch that game, I don't know how they might have thought they were going to have any success running, unless they just thought, well, they're not expecting us to. Let's catch them by surprise. Um, so I put that one on, I don't think that the end of the fourth quarter and and that overtime, uh, not Shane Waldron's finest hour. And again, we don't know. I haven't listened to the press game, uh, the post game press conferences and don't know, you know, if those were checks at all or, or anything like that. But he also had a, a fourth quarter fumble that I'm not sure be interesting to hear the comments again after the game, whether it's really on him or Walker, it was like a zone read. It looked like, it looked like Gino was trying to pull the ball out and keep it. And it kind of hit Walker's hip, fumbled, Raiders recovered, uh, which was really a shame because it was a, a nine play, 65, 64 yard drive at that point. And they had the ball deep in uh, Raider territory. Um, and uh, by the way, if you hear, if you hear that scuffling around behind me, I don't know if you can see it on the live feed, that's Butch. Uh, working out some frustrations from the the Cougar loss in the Apple Cup yesterday, um, but but that was another that was another play too. So to me, this game came down to two things: missed opportunities and bad run defense. You know the difference between this game and the Detroit game. It was a shootout. Seahawks took advantage of opportunities. 
uh, in this one. There were a couple of them. Uh, the play before Vegas scored their first touchdown to tie it at seven in the first quarter, uh, Ryan Neal had an opportunity for an over-the-shoulder, pretty routine, what should be an easy interception. Um, dropped it. Raiders scored on the next play. Um, also late in the game, Seahawks punting, trying to pin the Raiders deep and uh, their punt return and muffed it. And Trey Brown was in position to get the recovery would have been inside the five yard line and he overran it. And the Raiders were able to, to hang on to the ball. So there were some opportunities there and the Seahawks just didn't come up with it. Um, But those can be equaled out, right? Those happen throughout the game because Vegas, Josh McDaniels did the Seahawks some favors too. Um, very bizarre situation that I can't wait to see an explanation for at the end of the first half where the Raiders were on the Seahawks 13 with about 18 seconds left and it was second down and they decided to kick the field goal instead of taking a couple of shots to the end zone. Very bizarre sequence there. Um, I think there were a couple of times late in the game too that they didn't go for it on fourth down that I thought they could have, especially considering how many yards the Seahawks gave up. So let's talk about that running defense. And defense overall, Seahawks gave up 576 total yards, 283 on the ground. Josh Jacobs, if you had him in fantasy football today, you probably won your game. As terrible as he was for me a couple of years ago in fantasy football, this is not your Tom Cable coached Raiders offensive line. Much, much better. They were gashing the Seahawks. He had open running lanes on every carry. He was, the, the, the offensive line was beating our defensive line up so bad. It just felt like they, they had four or five yards on every carry. Uh, 33 carries from Jacobs for 229 yards, two touchdowns. He also caught six balls for 74 yards. The Hawks just didn't have an answer for Josh Jacobs. And here's what I want to say about the defense. We're back to square one. Whatever happened after those historically bad first four games and then the correction that came in the Arizona home game, week five, I believe. And then they played exceptionally well. And, and for four or five games, were as good as any defense in the league. Two weeks ago in Germany against Tampa Bay, giving up 200 yards rushing. And then today, right back to square one, back to square one, can't stop the run. Um, and so they're, they're trying to load up the box. They're not getting any pressure on the quarterback at the same time. Carr had all day to throw. Um, I think they only sacked him once. I think Puna Ford got to him once. Um, but the, but really he went untouched and he really stood in the pocket and delivered some balls. This defense is right back to where they were. And you wonder now um, if it's good enough to get this team into the playoffs. Uh, we saw it on third down. In particular, the Raiders eight out of 14. And so many of those were third and ones, third and twos because they were running the ball so effectively on first and second down. Uh, Seattle only three of nine on third down in this game. Um, and here's a sign too that the run defense is struggling as bad as it is. You might look at the stat sheet and think that Jordan Brooks played well. Cody Barton played well. Brooks with 16 tackles. Barton with 12. No. Um, today is as disappointed as I've ever been in Jordan Brooks. And I've, I've, been a Jordan Brooks defender. Um, but he looked like after seeing what appeared to be some improvement over the last month, um, 
he made 16 tackles, but none of those were impacting the line of scrimmage. He's having trouble getting off blocks. He's missing tackles. He's missing gaps. Um, same with Cody Barton. These guys are making their tackles five yards down the field after getting pushed back. They're playing backwards. They're not playing forwards. It's really frustrating to see. Um, Brooks took a couple bad angles on some flat passes, let, let guys uh, where he had guys uh, maybe for a loss or a short gain, ended up being longer gains. And he got beaten coverage um, on the Raiders on the tying touchdown at the end of regulation, uh, trying to cover a tight end. Um, this was bad. This was disappointing. Uh, as I said at the beginning, first bad loss, first loss of the year, I think, um, against a team that, that they should have beat. And and this is this is the difference in expectations, right? And maybe that's what we're seeing from this team on the field. You know, going into the break, this was a team, or going into that Germany game, really. This is a team flying high. They even talked openly about it. They're young and they're they're just having fun and they're not supposed to be as good as they have they've been and they're playing with loose and free and playing with that chip on their shoulder a little bit. Nobody expects anything of them. Then they go into the Germany game against a, an experienced Buccaneers team and they get punched in the mouth. And then they have to sit on that for two weeks in the bye week. And then you come out at home on a beautiful day against a team that you probably think you should beat. And they got punched in the mouth again. And they got beat up front. And I think it really points out, you know, we talked a lot about the draft this week and we mostly focused on quarterbacks, but as we get closer uh, to the offseason, um, I'll have Michael Thompson back on again. He and I went back and forth a lot over the last couple of days with all the college football that we watched. And uh, if you ever doubted what the what the Seahawks draft needs are, um, just watch today's game on a loop. Um, it's all over the front seven. If they spent their first three draft picks on defensive tackle, edge, linebacker, and, and then use their fourth pick on a safety, I'd be cool with that because they need it. They just don't have guys that are a problem. They don't have guys that can penetrate and just, just shoot gaps and, and beat blocks on their own. Um, they, have a, they have a bunch of good, solid guys up front, but they don't have any difference makers. For the second straight game, uh, Uchenna Nuosu was really quiet. Name didn't get called, didn't get close to the quarterback. Uh, neither did Bruce Irvin or Boye Mafe. Um, those just guys, those guys off, off the edge. Let's not even talk about Daryl Taylor. I mean, I don't know what it was we saw from Daryl Taylor last year and where that went, but he's given the team nothing from what I've seen. Um, and so that's where the draft needs are. But here's the good news. <laughs> uh, I haven't taken a look at, look at the uh, draft position for where the Seahawks move up to with the loss. Um, but the, the Denver Broncos lost to the Carolina Panthers today. Um, it wasn't even close. I think it was 24 to seven. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, lost to the Panthers right now. If the draft was today, that Broncos pick would be the third pick in the draft going into the season. Everyone assumed the Seahawks would have a top five pick with their own record. And the Broncos first round pick that we own from the Wilson trade would be in the twenties. Right now, it's literally the opposite of that. Um, and so you can get a Jalen Carter, one of the best defensive tackle prospects to come out in years. You could get a Will Anderson. Um, those types of impact players are there that high. Now, 
We're going to have a lot of discussion as we get closer. That pick gets higher. Seahawks end up with the second pick in the draft because they really don't have a shot to catch the Houston Texans. Um, they're one, nine and one, but the, uh, the Broncos have three wins and um, a couple other teams have three wins. Nobody has two wins. So the second pick is in play. You get the second pick. Now, maybe you talk about franchise quarterback anyway, just because you don't get an opportunity to pick that high very often, but the need is up front. They're just, there's some good, nice players up there. Right. Um, but I don't know that there's different difference makers. There's no all pros. The only potential all pro on that defense is, is Tariq Woolen. And by the way, if you're wondering how he played today, don't know. I don't know. Because Devontae Adams lined up 99% of the time today on the right side against Mike Jackson, who held his own, kept Adams in check for much of the game. Um, they went to Adams a lot late, though, um, trying to move the ball. But Jackson made a couple of nice plays on the ball as well. Um although he missed one key tackle on a third down, but I thought he held up. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let me just look up Adam's numbers. Well, I don't have it in front of me, but um, Adams didn't do a lot of damage. Uh, he had a similar game. DK Metcalf had 11 catches for 90 yards. I mean, he was, he was thrown to a lot, targeted a lot, but um, didn't get in the end zone. Didn't make a lot of big time impactful plays down the field. Um, but we didn't get to see that matchup. Tariq Woolen on Devontae Adams. Maybe as Woolen gets older, maybe next year, similar to what they used to do with Richard Sherman from time to time, maybe he'll get to a point where he can travel and and they just match him up um, and play more man and have him follow a guy like Adams. Because remember, the Raiders came into this game down some players, some big-time players. Darren Waller, their outstanding tight end. Hunter Renfro, who caught over 100 passes last year, both injured and out. And so you come into this game as the Seahawks knowing it's Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams and mostly Josh Jacobs. And they had no answer for him. Didn't cover him. Uh, he was on a lot of those passes he caught. He's wide open in the flat as if they forgot all about him, as if they just lost track of him. It's unfortunate. The Seahawks playoff odds drop to here's, here's the good news. When you look at their remaining schedule um, at LA, the Rams next week and the Rams, are really struggling, beat up, no Cooper Cup, third string quarterback. They only scored three points today. They lost. Um, uh, Seahawks playoff odds dropped to 64%. But if they beat the Rams next week, it goes back up to 80%. If they lose, it drops to 42. But that Rams team is really beat up and struggling. Uh, and they were having trouble scoring when they had Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. Um, if they win the next two games, if they beat the Rams and the Panthers, their playoff odds go to 91%, according to 538.com. The 49ers schedule over the next three weeks. This is interesting. So the Seahawks play the Rams and the Panthers. 49ers play the Dolphins and then the Buccaneers, who have won two straight now. No, I'm sorry. I stand corrected. They lost to the Browns in overtime today. Um, but they host both those teams. Dolphins, Buccaneers, while the Seahawks play Rams and Panthers. So the Seahawks have an edge there. But the 49ers today win 13 to nothing against New Orleans. They improved to seven and four. So they have a full one game lead in the standings against the Seahawks, but essentially it's a two game lead because they own the tiebreaker. And so three weeks from now, that game, Thursday night football, December 15th at Lumen Field in Seattle. Seattle might have to win the next two to put themselves in a position to still win the division. 
Um, although again, the 49ers schedule in the next couple of weeks, not great. And they struggled a little bit. They struggled on offense today against New Orleans. Um, so that's what lies ahead of them. Today's game would have gone a long way. They would have been they would have been right there with the 49ers in the win column uh, with seven wins, but instead they dropped to six and five. <sighs> it was bound to happen, right? Young team. We'll see how they respond. Every week is a test. Every week is a little bit of a mystery and a puzzle with this team. It's an interesting way to watch the Seahawks. I've never experienced this before. All throughout that game today, didn't get mad, didn't get upset. Like my expectations going into the season is this is a young team learning to find its way. And we've seen so many good things. Today, some things didn't go so well. We'll see if they can bounce back next week against the Rams. We'll preview that game later in the week. Also keep an eye out for Dana's episode midweek. Um, you know what to do. Subscribe to the podcast so you get notification of new episodes. Thanks for listening. I am Dan Viennes. We'll be back again uh, later in the week. But uh, that is my reaction to the Seahawks. Once again, losing 40 to 34 in overtime to the Raiders to drop to six and five. We'll talk to you later this week as we get ready for the Rams. Go Hawks.